Hello, this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to the making and the remaking of a sexual codependent mind. <laughs> As we were saying at the end of the previous episode, uh, we tried to have this be one in one episode, but we had to break it up into two, the sexual trauma subject. The first part covering the relationship with R and the chronic sexual abuse you suffered in that relationship and the sexual trauma that that caused and deepened for you. This one we're going to pivot to the relationship with Jay. Like we mentioned before, there's a lot of written material on this particular period posted on Patreon. So quite a bit on the R relationship. So if you're interested in in reading more about that, I encourage you to sign up and and check it out. As well as what we're going to talk about today the J relationship, and then eventually the end of that relationship. And then um, we hope to, next episode, (laughs) get to the healing part of this conversation. As we talked about in the narcissism episode in the the first season, episode four, the beginnings of the J relationship were very similar to the beginnings of the R. Where were you sexually when you first met J? Kind of a similar place that I was when I met R, being that even though I had... I wasn't a virgin anymore. It was almost worse in a way. Not only was it confirmed that I was inexperienced, it was actually like confirmed that I was worthless, more or less. But I was doing these things to kind of try to self-improve myself. And it gave me this sort of false confidence, kind of like similar to when I met R. I, I had this false confidence. I started meeting a bunch of people. I was doing a bunch of activities. I was meeting some good people, actually, and it was reviving my authentic side a little bit. Once again, as always, I could have continued down that road, but I didn't because Jay found me and just immediately went right to re-triggering all the same stuff that R did. So similar MO, reaching out on... Found me on social social media. media. Yeah, she was supposed to go to some event that I went to, but didn't, so she messaged everyone. According to her, messaged everyone. She messaged me, I responded. And like R, love bombing off the top. Yep. All day, all how day interesting you are, how handsome you are. I'm looking at your pictures. Yep. And yeah, on that first conversation over social media on the first day, mm-hmm. similar to R, including sexual talk, yes. sexual suggestions, sexual yep. compliments. Yeah. Her page also just suggested it also, like just naked pictures of her. And it's like it was kind of this, this, I'm this. Her Facebook page. Yeah. I'm this like sexual person that's finding you sexually attractive. Like, whoa. For me, being in this place where I didn't even realize I was in. Of being, of needing sexual validation, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, having an enormous amount of sexual shame, similar to when I met you, mm-hmm. that was around having no experience and being a virgin, and this was around being sexually rejected by your party partner and not having had sex for right. years at this point. Yeah, and so I, I go into these details with her. You know, I was. Well, she ex- probably extracts them. I yes. mean, this is what narcissists do. Like, they, sure. they pull out details from your personal life. They get personal very quickly. Yes. But I freely gave up these details, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I shame-vented with the wrong people. I said pretty much probably everything I needed to say for her to know my entire situation. The fact that getting a divorce, even the fact that you know we hadn't had sex for five years, all of this within the first conversation. And so, yeah, similar trajectory of that week, just constant talking all day, every day. So you were telling her about your sex life, but of course she's not honest to you about hers. She's presenting herself during that first conversation and over the next few days, again, this is a very aggressive timeline, as a very sexual person, as a sexually experienced person, when in fact you find out that that's not true at all. No. I mean, we don't know what sexual dysfunction she had, but she had tremendous sexual dysfunction and didn't really even seem interested in having sex. Right. What she wanted and what it seemed like R wanted is 
people to respond to her sexually. Yes, just she wanted to be desired sexually, yeah. Seen as a desirable sexual person. Yes. You know, we, we talked about in the episode on dependency, kind of the similarities, that narcissism and codependency were kind of both connected to this dependent personality disorder. So both R and J seem to be dependent on other people to prove their sexual worthiness. Just like me, right? Mm-hmm. So here's two people getting together that are wanting the other person to validate them. And so this first day, that's what we're doing. But the challenge is that the narcissist feels entitled to that desire. So R felt entitled to your desire, despite the way she treated you. You were yes. still supposed to make her feel desirable. Right. And, and the same thing with Jay. There was, there's no kind of, I'm going to figure out what you want mm-hmm. and need. That was it, never important. Ever no, no. You, she she felt entitled right. to your sexual desire and your sexual attention. So you as the codependent needing her sexual validation would do whatever you needed to do to get it yeah so it's very much intertwined in just like the way i approached the entire relationship in both cases that was a piece of the motivation for my codependent behaviors so jay's you know doing this kind of bait and switch right i'm a sexual person i'm going to give you sex just like our dangling sex from the very first conversation in Mm -hmm. front of you Mm -hmm. you know this can happen this is available but it's conditional setting that power dynamic off yeah. So yeah, she did a similar thing as R is, is basically tested all of my elements to see what I would give into, but create the, this power d- dynamic before we got to sex. So it took a little longer to get to sex because she says it wasn't that interested. In sex. Yeah, it actually took a month. So there was quite a bit of control I got under. Which, you know, a month is not very long. No. But this is a situation where she was love bombing you daily. Mm-hmm. And expecting and feeling entitled to daily interactions, constant interactions. She got you into her apartment. She had yeah. you sleeping with her in her, her bed. Naked. Uh, she was naked the entire time I was there. It was uh, this kind of, uh, yeah, this is the dangling part, right? But she was sick, apparently. So that was, you know, she had this illness. Yeah, so you sleep next to me. I'm going to be naked. I'm going to tell you how to sleep. We're not going to have sex. You're also, right, cooking for her, cleaning yeah, for her? Yeah, I was, yeah, getting groceries for her, cooking, walking her dog. Yeah, um, so, so, you know, this is a very... And I moved in. Accelerated. You're moving in, but and you're I, still, I you're still in having that sex. Like a week or two in. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it's not, again, it's not like waiting a month of sex is, is, is perfectly normal in most normal... This is not a normal relationship. No. Within a week, you're in a relationship. You've moved in with this person. Yes. And then so eventually you do have sex. And, and what, what was that like? Uh, it was awful. I mean, it was, it was... I already had a continuation of everything that I was experienced with R. So I basically just brought that to that experience. Except that also it was a similar thing where the dynamic was just bad. You know, I was already afraid of this person. And the balance of power is always already extremely pinned as it was with R before we even got to that experience. So yeah, the sexual experience was exactly the same as it was when I tried to have it with R. The premature ejaculation, the just the whole thing was just anxiety ridden and terrible. And she, she also just her personality was, she has this childish personality. She didn't turn me on as a person at all to, to begin with was the problem. So just like R, I was making writing stories right from the beginning that somehow I found that endearing, that she was kind of uh, kooky, like that was attractive, but it wasn't to me. I mean, I know it wasn't, but I made myself believe it was. And so this extended... Well, she believed it was. I mean, that's her... Pers- right, yeah. she, That's her she persona that she she's decided that... Right, she tried to make it cute or something, right. you know. But I mean, it was the same thing with the sex, like just this weird childish... I, I wasn't attracted to childishness. 
<laughs> so it was bad sex. Yeah. But sex was not for you about your own desire. It was about making sure the other person was was pleased. Yeah, and it was it was a way to alleviate shame for myself, and it was also a way to alleviate the fear of the next abuse episode because we were already very heavily into the intermittent abuse before the sex started. With Jay. With Jay, yeah. I mean, that started the first week also. So you had two dynamics that were established with R, repeating themselves with Jay. You have the trauma bonding so that you're walking on eggshells all the time with Jay, trying to manage her kind of meltdowns or her rage. And sex becomes a way to do that, one way to do that, yeah. one way to interrupt that dynamic. And then also you're carrying around all this sexual shame that you feel unworthy and deficient and she's offering to have sex with you. And so that's a way for that shame to be temporarily relieved. Which is really kind of the same as the R dynamic, except the abuse style was just a little different. And somehow I capitalized on the differences of the abuse style as somehow J was better than R. Well, one thing, as you've described it, the J relationship becomes essentially a sexless relationship. Yeah. I mean, it meets the definition of a sexual relationship. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a handful of times throughout the entire four-year relationship. I mean, at first it was once a month, then once every other month, then once every few months. Eventually it was like a couple of times. By the third year, it was just twice during that third year. Just, yeah, it was, it was basically a sexual relationship. I didn't pursue it. We didn't talk about it. So that was the difference between R and J was that R was constantly relentless about you need, it wasn't just you need to initiate sex better, but you do need to initiate it. I expect you to initiate it. Mm -hmm. And that was constantly, that was the message. You just need to do it well. I expect you desire for me and to, to ask to have sex with me, but you have to do it in a certain way or, or otherwise I'm going to shame and ridic yes. ridicule you. With Jay, everything was indirect and unspoken. So there was, it was like R was trying to make an attempt at, at intimacy, obviously completely failed. But Jay's like, didn't, it was, wasn't even a thing that she did. She didn't know how to talk to people. She just verbally dumped and we never talked directly about sex. We never talked about our experience with sex or anything. You so, never talked about the fact that you weren't having sex, for instance. No. And she didn't make any comments on my performance or anything either. So it was just kind of like, okay, well, it was, that was bad. That's done now. And then I wasn't going to bring it up. I was I had a huge amount of shame for it. And I had a huge amount of anxiety over this initiating. So even just having a conversation about it, to me, was initiating. Saying something like, oh, maybe we should have sex sometime or... What do you think about the fact that we're not doing it? You know, that that's all initiating to me that just gave me a huge amount of anxiety and I avoided it. So it was better than R in that there was far less sexual abuse because it was it was not a sexual relationship. There was no conversations about sex. There was almost no sex at all. Right. So in that way, it was, I'm sure, felt a little better. It just felt better, like more as what I what I called fine. Right. So it, I'm just kind of coasting along with this unspoke, except that there was lots of abuse in other ways. Sure. And the the sexual abuse that I got from the relationship with Jay was, was just completely indirect and stuff that came from me plugging in assumptions from things she would say. So she wanted to be naked all the time. She had this, this kind of philosophy about, it wasn't really nudist philosophy or anything, but it's just like, it was more just, she liked the sexual attention really. I mean, mm -hmm. because her social media, all that was still very sexually charged and and she was chatting with people all the time online. And this was something I just didn't want to know. I didn't want to believe, but it was true. And so we would be naked at home all the time. And there was... And she this, would want you to be naked. She would want me to be naked too. Yeah. And, but it was, uh, the message was that, and this R did the same thing, actually. Um, the message was that this was not about sex. Not only is it this not about sex, 
this shouldn't lead to sex. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have sex if we're already naked. You shouldn't be looking at my body. It's not about that. You don't look at me kind of. But look at me because <laughs> but look at me because I want you to you know validate me but but don't say anything and, so right. and don't touch so, me and right yeah. so if you have a sexual response then that's that's shameful yes that's shameful yeah you're somehow wrong in some yeah. way there's something so, wrong with you in a lot of ways it felt similar to R in that it felt unwelcome and I felt as though if it was gonna happen I was gonna have to make it happen because it was never really it, it's like I didn't nothing had to be said for me to feel exactly the same way I felt exactly the same way as I did in the art relationship. Well, the one thing it did that she was kind of so uninterested in sex, actual sex, it allowed you to, to blame her somewhat for this, the fact that it wasn't a sexual relationship. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it gave me a new, a, a new avenue for control in my head, which is what we've talked about before, resentment, the anger of the powerless. So I had a tool that I could use since she wasn't actively abusing me with words about it. It was, it was indirect. It gave me an opening to do that. Well, she's withholding sex from me sort of so you had you know both of those things you had the shame of yourself as potentially sexually deficient and the fear that she would confirm that the way that r confirmed it right so you weren't going to actually bring it up or ask for it directly but then also you were able to kind of just allow yourself the resentment of well it's but but all maybe it's her fault doesn't want to have sex but i imagine that was hard to reconcile you know this kind of her presenting this image of i'm a sexual person i'm a sexual person and then not having sex with you Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean i was carrying the shame of not having it but also carrying the shame of assuming it was my fault yeah, and, and like you said, desperately trying to avoid confirmation of that fact. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to find out things like say she was cheating or anything like that because that would just be like, wow, there we go. That's confirmation that I'm the reason why this wasn't happening. And then it turns out she was cheating. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't know if it was physical, but... Well, if we were in the same space all day, every day. I didn't, I worked from home, and so there wasn't really an opportunity for her to act on anything. Yeah. But she potentially created an opportunity when there was a the night that you went... Yeah. different places and you get back and she asks for a break yeah so she's sitting on the bed crying sobbing and won't stop for like a half hour she can't speak in the end i'm already starting to plug in answers i assume she cheated and she was too ashamed to say it out loud trying to find the right words of you know or just you know how am i going to do this to where i don't lose him but but she doesn't figure out how to do it and she just tells she doesn't you. figure out how to do it so she comes with a story of eventually oh i just i feel like you're not doing things for yourself and and we're not individuals so i think we need to uh take a little break you know move into different bedrooms minimize our, our contact with each other and try to rediscover ourselves so we should say that you're completely financially supporting her at this point. Yeah. Her days consist of lying around in bed or... The taking or, a break is not like, she, yeah, she's going to go off and reestablish herself as an individual and find a job. And it's just like, you're going to move, you are going to be kicked out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Well, it, it, the, the, the point was, which I found out later was, yeah, she was actually cheating on me, but she didn't say that immediately. So you have this period of a break where in, in retrospect, it sounds very similar to your break with R. Yes. Like the three months in the condo. Exactly. Right. Where you're trying to revive yourself and meeting other people and going back to some of the activities and, and feeling better again because she has less access to you. Yeah. Although she's doing what R did, but not out in the open. She's she's cheating. She's doing more cheating and, and using this opportunity, which may have been what the break was all about, to see yeah. if she could find another resource. Right. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So she's living with you. She's financially dependent on you because she made herself financially dependent on you by mm-hmm. quitting a job and not finding another job. Mm-hmm. So she can't afford just to leave. Right. Like she has to make sure she's got someone lined up. So yeah, the the month goes on, and I guess this is that was what her task was to just find something to try to line something up, and it didn't happen for her. So what she winds up doing instead is, you know what, uh, let, you know, uh, let's have a conversation here. I figured out what the problem is, and suddenly it was nothing about me trying to experience new things. It was I'm polyamorous, <laughs> you know. So she used to do this for years before we met, and it stopped. She was never honest about why it stopped. Obviously. I came up, found more evidence later that it's just she couldn't hold it together because she's a terrible person. But she wants, you know, I realized that I am polyamorous and that's what the problem, that's what been the problem the whole time. That, Which, you know, is, is really unfortunate because people who are uh, identify as polyamorous or, or choose to participate in those kinds of relationships, often the knock on them or the criticism is like, well, they, they're just people who cheat and they just want to be, be able to cheat. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it seems that's exactly that was the, the case, case with her. Yeah, she decided because she was cheating right. that that meant something. She was, it wasn't that she was just a bad person and that she was a cheater. It was that, oh, she's polyamorous. Yeah, right. So she presents this and says, well, what do you think? By this point, I'm already talking to a lot of people about my situation, shame venting with my brother, with a friend I met, a new friend, with some people from this other dance community thing that I was going to. And the the general message I was getting from people was, what are you doing? Like, what? This sounds terrible. The this relationship, person, the marriage. The relationship sounded terrible, right? They're like, why? So this person doesn't do anything. They just lay around all day. You do all the cooking, the cleaning, the shopping, the and the work full mm-hmm. time. And so she's taking advantage of you in every way. And now... And she's having... And, you know, and you described kind of some of the meltdowns or the freakouts. Yes. The, 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 the rage behavior. Right? right. There's really nothing going for this, for me in this mm-hmm. relationship at all. Like, it's actually the opposite. It's traumatizing me. And so I'm, I'm saying just enough. I'm not talking about the abuse so much with the people because I, okay. I was always careful to back off if it went too far because I didn't want to take action on this stuff. I was too afraid. I would just say things like talk about, I started talking about, you know, the sexlessness of it. That was the first time I ever started talking about that, you know, and I, you know, in addition to the, her not doing anything around the house or whatever, just shame venting and people going, well, that sounds terrible. Why are you doing that? And then she proposes this polyamory thing. And of course, to me, it's like, wow, that's a, that's a good idea because now I don't have to leave the relationship because I'm way too afraid to do that. And this may prolong her leaving, her leaving the relationship. Because, so the shame that would come from that, it's like this, oh, this it's perfect solution for her to continue to take advantage of me, but now also be able to get sexual validation out in the open. And it was perfect for me, too, because now I'm let off the hook from potential shame. Not altogether. No. <laughs> These would be really kind of choose no. your shame. That's the, I know. the game you were playing. Right. Shame from not having sex. Shame from her not choosing you sexually, except for a, few, a couple times a year. Yeah, I I tell those my brother and, and these friends about this idea, and yeah, they're just no way you can't do that. That's like so they were already like this. Why are you why are you sticking around with this? And and now it's just like, really you're actually considering this. Why basically so, so she's getting everything she wants, and now she's gonna get everything. And and I'm just like wow, well, what do I have to lose, right? If it goes if it goes wrong, then eh, you know things take its course or whatever. Like I just coming with immediately coming with rationalizations and and selling these rationalizations to these people and i think they just kind of threw their hands up like okay fine whatever man yeah because you weren't prepared at that point to face the fear and the shame that would take to leave an abusive person yeah yeah so this was a way out again of of that fear the fear of either having to leave her or the shame of her leaving you Mm -hmm. of being rejected again sexually and romantically so you enter into this open period where you now you're both polyamorous (laughs) 
even though you weren't particularly amorous to begin with. Yeah, right. <laughs> Where was the <laughs> initial relationship? <laughs> Where was right? the initial love? And she continues to kind of control the sexual agenda, even though now it's involving other people. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know if she felt this. She probably did, that it was a little bit of a risky move, letting me leave the house, for one. And then come in contact with other people that are going to have their own personalities and their own opinions. She came up with a bunch of rules, this kind of like rules of engagement. And much like how everything worked in that relationship, she would just kind of go just start talking. And as long as I didn't contradict anything, which I didn't because I was afraid and had co- was codependent, I agreed with everything. I implicitly agreed with everything. So we had these rules that she wrote them out and everything. So she had these rules. <laughs> yeah, she had a bunch of rules. Which she imposed. That I was supposed to follow. She yeah. didn't actually follow them, but I was supposed to follow them. And I got to work studying how I was going to approach this whole thing. This was very, this 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 was kind of like a task, right? It was the, the latest task for me to try to alleviate the shame of that relationship and to satisfy Jay's needs. <laughs> right. So she goes right into, I mean, she sets all these rules about how you're supposed to behave. She goes right into multiple sexual relationships, yeah. including the one, one of the ones that she was having when she was cheating on you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't even mention that she confirmed that she, this wasn't just, um, with one person. She, confirmed yeah, she, it. she confirmed it with one person only because that person, we were going to see that person at this event that night. And the person found out that she had lied about not being in a relationship when they had sex the first time. And he said, well, I can't continue with you like this. You, he needs to know about this. She tells me about it only for that reason. And then, and then later that night, I see the guy. He said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> but I'm going to continue to have sex. I know. <laughs> Even uh, though it's, it's kind of weird on his part, too, yeah, right, yeah. that he found that okay. But yeah, so she told me that. And so I was like, wow, okay. I mean, that, that did kind of confirm that was... Th- that was some of that confirmation I wasn't, I was trying to avoid, right? So I mean, how did that feel? She tells you that she's cheating. It confirmed my shame around. Well, I'm sure she didn't say that she cheated. I'm sure she just said that we had sex. We had she sex. Had, she had some said, rationalization. Well, she said it was okay. during the break and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, right. The break that she imposed and, and didn't express what it was for other than me to go out and learn who I was or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so, it, you know, she does this after I agree to the polyamory. So I'm just like, well, you know, I guess we'll just take this as the first. Oh, well, that's what you said. But yeah, how that's did you what feel? I said. That, well, so, but yeah, what I felt was I, I felt rejected. So your sexual shame was confirmed. Yeah, it was completely confirmed. I didn't feel what people would often feel, which is like kind of a betrayal, a betrayal of love or Something like that. Because, or jealousy, right? Or jealousy, because I didn't actually love Jay at all. And later I would come to think that was some kind of noble thing that I didn't feel jealousy, <laughs> that, that I was emotionally mature or something. Uh, I even gave a speech on it in the, this polyamorous group when really, oh, I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't jealous because I didn't even like her, let alone love her. But that's a whole other story. You did feel shame and the confirmation yeah. of sexual shame. Yes, for sure. I mean, you didn't kind of recognize it at the time, but you kind of have evidence of that looking back because you didn't tell anyone. Even though you were talking yes. about that relationship, you didn't tell anyone. That. Right. I was very good at spinning stories very quickly and lying to myself so that I could easily lie to other people because I'm not very good at conscious lying. But It's true. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Yeah, so if I'm put on the spot and I, and I have to lie quickly, I'm not yeah. very good at it. It's, it's kind of obvious. But in this case, yeah, that was one of the very... I, I, I told myself, I can't tell anyone this. There's no way. I, I knew that that would lead in that. There's there's no way anybody would, they'd say, you have to get out now. No, seriously, you need to get, this is terrible. Although you probably spun it that you were protecting her. And yeah, the, I think the so. Relationship. I think so. Yeah, I don't need to tell people that. She, she, you know, yeah, I think so. But it was really the fear that they would then challenge you. Yeah. 
to get out of the relationship. Right. But probably also somewhat the shame of being cheated on. Yeah, yeah that's true also. Um, I mean, I didn't tell people about the abuse still, like I said, too. So even when I was telling these people, like my brother and, and friends, about stuff, I didn't really go into detail about the verbal assaults and stuff like that. Because that, that, I knew that would be too much also. Kind of mm-hmm. like back when in the days of G, not telling anyone. Mm-hmm. about that because I, I it was just too afraid what was that what would happen if i said that so as you're saying you kind of treated this as a project yeah it wasn't you, you weren't guided by your own desires and wishes it wasn't like yeah. you were saying oh now i get to really think about what i would want in additional sexual romantic partners and find people who are interested in me and i'm interested in right no i didn't and i mean i tried to make myself feel as though i was doing that by reading this book and and get the philosophy of it and go yeah that makes sense yeah but it was very intellectual it wasn't driven by oh oh, what what do i want i didn't have my emotions attached to it at all because you know i was emotionally immature i didn't understand my emotions at all so it was almost kind of like quote unquote losing your virginity which is a terrible phrase right but that's like a project people have like i'm gonna do this thing rather than what do i want Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do i need from this situation yeah i never asked myself that what do i desire in another sexual partner right i was just doing this thing Mm -hmm. that someone basically told you kind of told me to do right so i wind up getting involved with people in a very similar way to how i got involved with r and j but now I have now it's even more layered, right? The first woman is someone that I just wasn't interested in, but Jay prodded me to go after her only because she was asking, How was the party? And I said, Well, I talked to this one person, it was kind of interesting conversation, wasn't really into her you know, in any way. but she said, Well, you had you should you should go for that. Invite her invite her to this music festival thing you're going to and and so I'm like, Okay, I you know, just yeah, so if, if, you know, she wants you to be connected, but probably just to people who she doesn't find threatening. And yes. She wants you to be engaged in this world so to justify her own behavior. Yeah, so she, she did that. The, I, I wound up getting kind of attached to three people in a sort of similar way. She didn't find any of those people threatening, and she prodded those on. And I didn't have desire for any of these people. But much like R and J, you needed to respond to other people's interests yeah. with your own interests, regardless of how you actually felt. Right, and you know these people weren't abusing me, although they may have if they had more access to me. I mean, in retrospect, at least one of them exhibited narcissistic behaviors that I think could have triggered me in similar ways if I were to have just been separated and then on my own with this person. Yeah, and so this was a your first so-called relationship in this in this open period where it kind of was similar and there was love bombing in the beginning well actually the one i'm talking about is a, is a different one that one was also kind of on the narcissistic spectrum but okay. not quite so much but the way the interactions went were kind of similar to the start of the jay relationship where i was shame venting and complaining about jay to this person and they were love bombing me for sure right i mean when i had the first conversation with this person there was not it was kind of when i talked to r at work it was Mm -hmm. just very like we're having a conversation we're talking about why we're here and stuff there's no flirting or anything like that but as soon as i asked her out basically because jay pressured me into it Now suddenly we're we're out and now suddenly there's flirting and there's talk of sex and all this kind of stuff and then daily all day texting conversations and stuff. So yeah, it was a very similar start. In describing what what you're doing as a relationship almost from very early on. Right. So one thing that I'm 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 still very much in this dump about Jay on anyone who would listen. So what wound up happening with this person was that I just I dumped so much 
of the stuff that it was too much for me to support. My shame became too obvious and it became too obvious to this person that I was making excuses and stuff like that. And, and they just ended the relationship. And I kind of got in this suspended state of sort of shame around the thing where I tried to come up with reasons to resent this person, you know, even though that I don't think this person was that great of a person, I still just got suspended in this state of, oh, I was saying too much about Jay. You know, I was, I was complaining too much. I should have been saying good things about her. That's the only reason why, you know, why this all happened. And so I temporarily backed off that, but inevitably the shame venting started again. And so you were in a relationship with this person, you tried to respond to any other person who expressed interest to in you, including sexual, and you end up putting yourself in other kind of sexually humiliating experiences where you couldn't perform in the way that people wanted you to perform. Right. Yeah. In this case, I just couldn't even get erections. So in some ways, kind of at this point, traumatizing yourself, reinforcing your own sense of worthlessness in, in the sexual arena. But the silver lining is that you also met good people. And you, you already mentioned you had made some friends during the break with Jay, and then you accumulated other relationships and friendships. And all of those people, good or bad, had visibility into your relationship with Jay, yes. not just through your shame venting or your complaining, but also people started to witness things. Yeah, because eventually Jay was starting to lose her grip a little bit because I was going out a lot. And the best she could come up with was to kind of bombard me with texts and get super angry if I wasn't responding to the texts. I couldn't hide that stuff. It was too difficult for me to, because I felt attacked. Other people would go, what's going on? And I'm like, well, she's attacking me on this text here because I didn't respond within five minutes or whatever it was, you know, and it just became too obvious. And I couldn't handle the cognitive dissonance that came from having a conversation with one of these good people about that relationship between having to try to continue to do all the behaviors I was doing to appease Jay. And she got more controlling as well. Yes. Because as you're describing, it, this is an open relationship. So that's what opening does is it exposes it. And, and you're not sitting at home waiting when she goes on dates. You're also going on your own dates. So she gets more controlling. So that behavior also becomes more difficult to hide because yes. there's more of it. And she you know, gets a sense that she's losing control of the narrative of, of what this relationship is supposed to be like. But she's also distracted. The way you describe it is almost relentless attempt to collect more men herself yeah and it wasn't going well for her because a lot of people just didn't have the right fit of codependent behaviors i guess for, for her abuse to work so the whole system becomes very unstable there was a period where you had very few people in your life it was just the two of you yes and i called that the fine period <laughs> right because it was it wasn't somewhat stable because yeah. her, her abuse and emotional dysregulation was a little bit predictable right Kind of like it was with your dad. You, you mm -hmm. knew the situations that would set her off. And because there were very few other people involved and it was only if you left the house. I mean, you had some sense of that you could manage the, the abuse and the relationship. And then yeah. she felt completely in control of you. So there was less need for controlling or abusive behavior. Yeah. And, but now that, again, this is all becoming less stable. It's becoming more open. There are more eyes on this. There's more visibility. Yes. Both of you are struggling to kind of keep your sense of control. And some of these people that were entering my life were threats. So unlike these people that she prodded me to go after in the beginning of the experience, there were people that I chose and 
that she did not like that saw things and challenged me. So yeah, eventually that became too much. So there were these severe moments of cognitive dissonance where I went into freeze and I didn't know how to deal with the situation and I didn't know how to respond to what was going on. And it was a shame overload. And eventually that shame became so much that it actually outweighed the fear of doing something about the relationship and uh, managed to end it. So the shame of staying with her, given what you had told other people and what other people witnessed, outweighed the fear of leaving her. And the shame of leaving her, right? So mm-hmm. it was like competing shames, really. Because, I mean, fear, I rarely just had fear in isolation, right? The fear was the fear of shame. Or, and there was shame of fear. So the fear of shame and the shame of fear mm-hmm. that was that surrounded the possibility of me saying, you know what, Jay, this is this is done, was outweighed by the fear of, I can't explain to this healthy person that is is asking great questions. I can't explain why I'm doing this or that or behaving this way or that way. I can't. And I don't know why, but the fact that I can't is giving me an insane amount of shame. (laughs) Way more shame. And you're hearing it not just from one person, but from multiple people at that point. Yeah. So we're glad. Going back to season two about healing codependency, the importance of other people in your life, other people having eyes on what's happening to you, having ears on what's happening to you is so important. And then also needing to leave actively toxic relationships and situations in order to start to heal. It wasn't going to happen in that situation. If If I kept myself in that relationship, this cognitive dissonance and freeze moments would have just continued to happen. I I wasn't going to solve anything like that because I was still living with Jay and she had complete access to me still other than when I went out. So yeah, that getting out was not the end of it. No, not at all. Uh, because it took a long time as it, as it does, as it did with R as well, because Jane, like R, she necessarily wanted to have sex with you, but she's definitely wanted the resources that you provided. Right. And so that was just a critical step in the healing process of the sexual codependency. Yes. But still just an early step. So next episode, we'll finally get to <laughs> the healing sexual codependency. Yes. How did that happen? How is that going? What were the components of that that were important for you? We hope you've made it through all of this with us. We know it's a lot of information. And of course, like we said, there's there's a lot more written material online too if you're interested on, on Patreon. And uh, we'll continue again in a couple of weeks with, uh, with this healing. We hope you join us. Thank you.